This is IT Visionaries, your number one source for actionable insights and exclusive interviews with CIOs, CTOs, and CISOs, and many more. I'm your host, Albert Chow, a former CIO, former sales VP, and now podcast host. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of IT Visionaries. And today we have two special guests. Brian Woodring, he is the CIO of Rocket Companies and our co-host for today, Paolo Malinverno. He's the VP of Strategy and Innovation at Salesforce. Brian, Paolo, welcome to our show. Albert, thank you for having me. Thanks very much for having us. Thank you. Excellent. This episode is part of the Success Now miniseries. In this economy, organizations need solutions to reduce costs, increase efficiency, realize an ROI quickly, and deliver value fast. The Success Now miniseries We'll focus on how organizations like yours are putting customers first and driving enterprise success in a shifting economy. Brian, we're going to start with you. I think a lot of people know what Rocket Companies does. I myself personally, I've already said this on one of our other episodes with one of Rocket members, uh, am a customer of Rocket Mortgage specifically. But Brian, if our audience is not familiar with what is Rocket Companies, if you could please give a quick introduction to the, the business as well as your role there. Absolutely, Albert. First, thank you for your business. We really appreciate it tremendously. We value every single client. Second, we're probably best known uh, as Rocket Mortgage, formerly Quicken Loans, that is obviously the, the largest and best mortgage lender in the United States. But really, we're much more than that. We're really here to help every client and every consumer in the United States throughout all of life's most critical financial moments, from a mortgage to buying a car, a home, for example, uh, and we really leverage technology to deliver these amazing client experiences for all those moments. Listen, for anyone who's never used Rocket, I'm telling you right now, is by far the easiest way to get a mortgage on your home. You can try all the others. Feel free. And once you try Rocket, you will know the difference. Some people don't know the difference because they haven't experienced the pain. But you guys, I would say, have done the best job of making that simple. Paolo, how about for yourself? Salesforce is a huge company. It's been the title sponsor of IT Visioners for quite some time. We know your role in the organization, though. My, that's what we want to know about. What is your role inside that company? Basically, long-term corporate strategy. So we are a group of advisors to the executive team of Salesforce. For any choice, you know, it could be a product choice, technologist choice, but at the same time, it's a go-to-market issue. Um, and we cover more or less everything in terms of the space that we follow, you know, the way we anticipate, obviously, trends and the way we anticipate innovations. So we're all fairly seasoned professional. I myself am a former analyst with Gartner. So um, it's a group of about uh, uh, 12, 13 of us. And... And, and the one, two, of, two of us are based here in Europe, but obviously it's a worldwide and global role. Awesome. Now, Paolo, prior to us doing this recording, we had talked about some of the great questions you had for Brian. So I'm going to kick it over to you. You're going to lead us most of the way for our audience. I'm going to interject every now and then, but Paolo here is, is the king of questions. Brian's the king of knowledge. Let's go. <laughs> All right, let's do this. All right, King of Questions, right. You know, that, that's a good title <laughs> to go by. I hope I will have also some answers for your customers anyway. Uh, but, but for the sake of this session, Brian, that's what I would like to start with because obviously, you know, I've been looking at your success and, um, you know, how things have moved on in the way you service your customers. How conscious was um, that 
decision to go because obviously you know that the, the question that all clients ask me is okay how do i know that there has been a digital transformation what's the before and after you know so was there a conscious before and a very very scientifically planned after when you started or you know did it come dynamically how much how much digital was in it, if if that term was mentioned at all? No, I think that's a great question. And look, I'd be lying, I think, if I said that there was a, a plan and a roadmap and we've had a project plan going for the last couple of decades. It is naturally an organic process because you have to learn as you go. That's, I think, what we've learned in technology in the last 20 or 30 years as an industry is that you can't have a master plan. You have to learn as you go. However, there have been what I would think of as pivotal moments. So famously within our company, there's a, a 1998 letter that our, our founder, Dan Gilbert, wrote about the future of mortgage. I, I think it's publicly available on our website as well. Uh, and it, it's the kind of thing you read it and then you think about the year. This was a time people were still nervous about ordering a pizza online. And he was talking about the future of a mortgage and really finance in general is digital. It is online. It's on the Internet. It, it was an amazing piece of, of vision for him to cast for us. So that was a pivotal moment. Uh, and then I think back to 2015, 2016, as we were launching the original Rocket Mortgage, uh, which really enabled that first time you could really do a, a digital mortgage experience. That was a pivotal moment. And now launching the platform. So I think it more of is there are moments in time when you can sort of see how things were before and how they are after. And those are pivotal moments, but you really have to navigate this. When you're inventing the future, you don't get to have a master plan. One of my, my favorite quotes is that the best way to predict the future is to invent it. It's not clear who to attribute it to, but you know we are inventing the future of what this all looks like in consumer finance. And so we don't have a master plan. We try things, we discover, we get feedback, and then we try new things. And it's it's been pretty successful for us. And, and people who typically have several objectives, you know, when they start things like this, they say, well, we want to be close to the customer. We want to save money. We want to do things more efficiently, especially lately because of the economic conditions. You know, uh, the way I see it, and and you know, uh, uh, you might you know disagree with this, but is that if you eat just one of those things, the other one will come. But you know, was there one in particular that you said, "Oh, we want to hit this," or "We want to just invent the future"? We want to be, uh, and then all the others came as a consequence. Yeah. Well, first off, I, I agree with your premise there that the way you can lay out the future to the extent you can is to focus on what problems you're trying to solve. You know, throughout time, the, the problems don't change. The solutions change. People still want simplicity. They still want speed. Uh, they still want to save money. Those things always matter. So if you think about what challenges you want to solve, especially if you think about what challenges you want to solve for your client or your customer, and focus on solving their problems instead of yours, then I think you really can't go wrong laying out that vision. And, and of those, I would say, I, I think there's a virtuous cycle solving these types of problems. If you digitize an experience and make it better for the client, I think you're naturally going to create a more efficient process as well that saves money. So I don't think you always have to choose, but to the extent you do, our North Star is always creating the best experience for the client. We want getting a mortgage or buying a home or buying a car, any of these things that typically make people very uncomfortable and nervous. 
Uh, we want to make them simple and confidence inspiring and, and easy to do. Uh, we want to take the pain out of it. I think if that's your North Star is, is taking things that are necessary but painful and removing the pain, then that's a vision. That's a strategy you can stick with over decades. And, you know, whenever you have a, a kind of, a, if I'm talking kind of Google Maps, you know, metaphor, once you have a destination like that, that is very, very clear, and you set off to go and get it, there are plenty turns that you have to take in the, in the meantime, you know. It's not that you plan a journey and that's the journey and that's what you follow and that's what you keep going on. I suppose you will have to adjust that as you go. Uh, am, I, am I right in saying that? Oh, yeah. I, there's a saying I use a lot uh, with my team that you can measure how innovative something is by how many blind alleys you have to turn down to get there. <laughs> Anything that's really transformative it's going to be a difficult and sometimes painful journey to get there. If you're expecting there to be a path, I'm just going to follow A, B, C, D. Well, if it were that easy, everyone would be doing it, right? And it wouldn't be the problem. It's the problem because there isn't an A to B to C to D. There is a try something and learn, get the feedback and find out that it didn't work. Many things we do don't work. And then we adapt. The key is to, to create a culture and an environment where that valuable learning is gained when you do find one of those blind alleys. You know, I wanted to add to what you just said, Brian, or and ask a question, follow-up question, is not only are you innovating, but you're also innovating in a highly regulated space. And arguably, when you first started this, there was, you know, like you said, you you, you started this vision, or this vision begins in 1998, like you said, when e-commerce really wasn't that popular. People were quite nervous about checking out anything online for anyone who wants to go to look at web archives, go check out what amazon.com looked like back then. I mean, it looked like it was going to take your credit card for sure and do <laughs> whatever it was going to do with it. So that's what things looked like. Then you add a new layer, which is you're also in a highly regulated industry and things are done a specific way. And then you service, I would say, let's call them low-fi, low-tech mortgage backers, uh, mortgage brokers, excuse me, um, different banks, financial systems. So like you're talking about, hey, oh, we want to API integrate. Well, plenty of banks at the time didn't have APIs. Hey, I want to digitize this form. Well, plenty of uh, mortgage brokers were requiring paper submissions still. Uh, even today, and I did I in the state of Maine, and for anyone who hears this, they might be like, what is going on? They don't allow e-signature. The state of Maine does not recognize e-signature. You still have to get things notarized and faxed. And the reality is, the mortgage process is full of information that might get to you, Rocket, in very different ways. So, like, you had this, like, let's call it a mishmash of problems. You're talking about, like, blind alleys. Like, give us an yeah. idea of, of what that was like because it's one thing to build software where you can control what – maybe you can control more of what people are doing. But so many people are doing things a different way in your industry already. That had to make it infinitely harder to say, oh, because I could tell you, hey, simplify that. That's an easy thing to say. We know that's quite hard to do. Give us some idea of what that process looked like, because that's a painful one. Yeah, absolutely. A huge amount of our technology investment and the challenge in building the products and the services we build is the fact that we are governed by these incredibly dense rules from multiple regulators, the states, federal government, different parts of the government, our investors. So it is an incredibly complicated landscape. However, I would turn that around and say, you know, I know this isn't like the quote podcast, but one of my favorite quotes too is like the winds always favor the ablest navigator. Uh, and so 
we live in a world where all of our competition faces those exact same challenges we do. Mm. And so to some extent, our ability to navigate them, to lean into technology, uh, to navigate those things, to lean into our strategies actually helps us in some ways. So I don't shy away from the complexity. In fact, I think that's what makes this such an attractive problem to solve. Finance is a very regulated space uh, and it's a very painful space. And so that combination makes it a really difficult problem to solve. And, and that in some ways makes it more exciting and the potential impact is much greater as a result. Uh, but yeah, you're, you're right about it. A absolutely. There's an immense amount of complexity. Everything's different in every state. Sometimes it's different by county within a state. Uh, but the great news is technology is actually really good at navigating things like that. People are actually going to struggle with it. If you, if you try to make a mortgage with nothing but people and you're trying to account for 50 or 100 or 200 different ways of doing things, that's really hard. But actually, for a computer, that's no sweat once you tell it how to do it. Actually, as we are in kind of a citations and quotations mode, I might bring in one of my illustrious connationals, and a man by the name, by the name of uh, Leonardo da Vinci who obviously, you know, lived well before computers and mortgages, but he said, simplicity is the extreme form of sophistication. Uh, making things simple is very difficult. Very, very difficult. And that's really what he meant. So I, I thought I would add that bit of history into it. Making the complex simple is the ultimate mission of any technologist, I think. Going on the, uh, with questions, one thing I was particularly interested, interested in hearing from you, Brad, was uh, I obviously talk to a lot of our clients who are in the middle of this transformation, and uh, it's no mystery that quite a lot of them struggle through. How did you measure progress towards your objectives? Because uh, typically the measurements of progress are then related to how much you can do investments, you know, and how easily the investments are coming, which uh, have to come, you know, in a in a deep transformation process like the one you went through. So, what did you measure, really? Yeah, and I think maybe one of the things that sets Rocket apart from a lot of our competition is that our metrics tend to shy away from the finance. We have, we have a saying that uh, money and numbers follow; they don't lead. We believe that if we offer the best product and the best experience, that the money, the revenue, the profitability, those things follow, uh, which isn't to say that some things aren't important to measure. And obviously, we're, we're you know, a publicly traded company. Finances matter to us. Uh, but the things we tend to measure are more, you know, what is the experience like for the client or for our own team members? So key metrics we might use would be, uh, are we closing loans faster than our competition, right? What is the industry average for time to close a loan? Are we doing better? Uh, how many calls does a client have to make? Uh, how many clients can our average team member help, for example? So we, we focus more on measuring what I think of as the valuable outcomes of the business that we're in, rather than saying, hey, we, we want to have an earnings per share target or an EBITDA target that I, I know for a fact many of our competitors and many other people in the industry. That's how they see the world. Uh, and the, the difficulty is if, if you don't actually want to create an amazing experience and make awesome products, you can want to be profitable all you want. You can want to be efficient all you want, but it's not going to work. 
clients don't care about those things. They care about how you made them feel and the experience that they had. And so those are the things we tend to try to measure. NPS scores even, like how do, how do clients feel about us? How do they feel about the experience? How fast was it? Uh, that's how we see technology really changing things here. And along the way, we save money and that's awesome too. The question was also about technology investments because I'm sure that as you go into this journey, you know, you're bound to hit technologies you didn't think you would hit. Or maybe something new comes along and it says, oh, well, now we have all these brand new banking APIs, maybe we should hit those, you know, instead of going into each of the bank separately. How easy was it for you to do technology investments? And I'm asking this question because today it's very difficult. So I'm sure the clients, you know, can have some inspiration from that. I think it is always going to be difficult. Merging sort of the art of what is possible with what is needed by your clients is really the job. That's really the, the tricky part of the job is constantly looking at, okay, uh, blockchain is now on the scene and has been for several years. Is there a role for that to play? Or banking APIs, new things become possible. And if you look at most of the great inventions in history, it's been that merging of a new thing became possible, right? Cheap microprocessors and wireless antennas and strong glass allowed them to make an iPhone. But also there was demand, there was a need, there were products that were not meeting the market and there was unfulfilled demand. And so the art of finding unfulfilled demand and new capabilities and possibilities and, and merging those and finding the, the bridge between those two is really the constant challenge. It's, it's really kind of what makes the job fun. There are so many quotable bits out of what you say, Brian, that, you know, I would be really, really tempted to steal some of those from you with your permission. <laughs> Obviously, you know, in doing all this, right, you did not operate under, you know, a regime of infinite resources and infinite budgets. Uh, those budgets are becoming uh, lower and lower today. What advice would you have to possibly uh, smaller companies what maybe a little bit more modest objectives? What advice would you give to them and possibly smaller budgets you know, to still make some difference? First off, I think there can be a strength in seeing a budget shrink. Uh, it can actually have an incredible clarifying power for you. Uh, and I would encourage everyone who's facing that same challenge, which I think a lot of companies are today, rather than sort of what I call spreading the peanut butter around and saying, okay, everybody's gonna cut 10%. Instead, do it intelligently. Uh, get the people whose judgment you trust together and have the hard conversations. And maybe sometimes people don't do this because it requires hard conversations. Uh, but have the hard conversations about what really matters and look for the durable long-term value that you can produce. That's what technology is good for. If you're chasing, how can I increase revenues by 5.8% this year with technology, you're in the wrong business. That's not what technology is here for. Technology initiatives tend to take a little more time. They tend to require the blind alleys. The, the things that make a difference that allow any company to win their industry are those really long-term investments that create durable value, ideally for the client, not just for you. And if that means having to eschew some things that maybe you don't necessarily need that are nice to haves, 
or that are more short-term thinking, that's where I'd make the cuts rather than sacrificing those transformative things that are really going to help you win your industry. It's funny you mentioned that, Brian, because um, I see a lot of the things you recommend that not to do. I see people doing a lot of that. There is a lot, obviously, of short-term tactical things that people want to put in place. And it's very, very difficult to have a strategic way uh, of thinking, you know, in times uh, like this. Everything in your instinct right now is telling you, survive, do something short term, get something out there quickly uh, that's going to make maybe move a tiny needle a little bit. But I actually think in times like this, it's more important than ever when you have to make hard choices to make sure they're the things that are going to allow you to win years or even decades for now. I, I think one of the strengths we have at Rocket is that we make plans that are decades long. We are 24 years into a digital journey. I think that's something Salesforce shares. I mean, it, it is the Salesforce idea has been the same for decades now, the idea of the cloud and, and software as a service. The most successful companies have that North Star and they stick with it for a long time and, and they actually stick with it even more when things are tough. According to Gartner and most research organizations, the investments into anything that is IT, customer service, uh, more technology, more digital interactions, all of those investments are kept currently by most companies, medium and large. And actually, even in the next year, those budgets are not going to shrink at least according to them. So possibly this might be some positive news. And then obviously, um, if the feeling that our clients have is is not the same, well, but then they have an argument, say, hey, hold on, you know, nobody else is doing this. So uh, wh- why are we, you know, why are we? Um, I don't know whether you see that yourself, you know, in the company where you are. Definitely. I, I always go back to the remember the fact that many of the greatest U.S. companies were founded during the Great Depression. The best time to transform and innovate are the most difficult times because they force you to make hard choices. You can't try to do everything all at once. You've really got to focus in on doing the things that matter. Um, it's difficult. It's not always necessarily a pleasant experience to go through, um, but it is critical. And I think that you'll see that the best run companies are going to focus on that, what I call durable value. How do you build things that will be valuable to your clients and to your business three, five, 10 years, not you know Q3, Q4. The companies that live by quarters, they're ultimately gonna get consumed by that. Uh, and the companies that live in years and decades will be around to be successful for years and decades. I wanted to pick your brains, Brian, if I may, uh, after something you said uh, a couple of minutes ago, on the value of uh, return of investment, which is obviously a metric that any CFO would understand, but as a metric of success. From what I understand, am I, I might be putting in your mouth uh, things you didn't say, but what I understood, and tell me if I'm wrong, uh, is that kind of the ROI takes care of itself once you do the right things for the customer. And I'm not sure if that's what you said or that's what you meant, but is that what you think? Yeah, I think directionally it is. Look, I, I'd i say it this way, and uh, we use OKRs here at Rocket sometimes. I, I think Salesforce uses them as well. And there's a difference between, to me, an objective and a key result. 
And that difference is one thing is the mission and one thing is the way you know that you succeeded at the mission. So ROI or profitability can be a great indicator that a business or product is successful, but it can't be the goal. If the goal is we want to make more money, well, that's everybody's goal. And why would your client possibly care about that? The goal needs to be we want to solve a problem for a client. We want to take something difficult and make it simple. And we'll know we've been successful when the clients flock to the product and we can do business profitably. Now, obviously, look, we're public companies, so it's important that we solve problems in a way that's profitable for us. We're not doing it out of charity. We're doing it out of mutual benefit. The client has a great experience and we make money doing it. Um, but it's so easy to lose your way and just focus on the financial goals. And then one day you wake up and realize you're not actually solving any problems that your clients need and they're walking away from you to someone else who will. So our objectives are always about great products, great experiences, taking care of our clients. And we do measure the financials as well, but they don't drive the strategy. They really are there to inform us about whether the strategy has been successful. Yeah. And, and Brian, you guys at Rocket just recently launched a consumer application that measures personal finance. I know that's one of the newer, or I, I feel like it's newer because I, I didn't know about it until recently. I saw some commercials for it, but that's like, I feel like that's exactly a great demonstration of what you're talking about there. Cause that doesn't have, you know, it doesn't have a fee for me. Like I can just have it, you know, yeah. it's an application. There's no fee application. <laughs> I'll put a plug in here. Rocket Money is awesome. Yeah. I went through and spent a lot of time over in it over the holidays with my own personal finances. Everybody who's listening should. It's really cool. It's got that feel that um, one of the things I noticed, it's got that feel like it just works when you use it. Some of the financial like planning and budgeting apps, you put a lot into them to get them to work. The team that put that together, they really focused on making the experience incredibly simple. And so there's there's shockingly little you have to do to get it up and running and delivering value for you and helping you as a user. And it's it's a really awesome piece of technology. Is that like a prime example of like a long term innovation that, you know, it doesn't really necessarily have a clear ROI right out the gate. It might not be measurable for a couple of years, but you make you're making the investment. Like, hey, I'm assuming the thought process is like, hey, for people who have never, let's say, gotten an automobile loan yet or they haven't gotten a mortgage yet and they haven't done any of the big finance moves yet, they just. They will have never experienced or had a reason to experience our products and services. So let's create a way for them to see what we're about. Yeah, that's a big part of it, right? So getting a mortgage may be something that's much further along in your financial life. Uh, but there are ways we can help clients who are much earlier in their journey or even throughout. Honestly, yeah. as I said, I, you know, I'm an older guy myself. I still found sure. a tremendous <laughs> amount of value. And it found several things that are subscriptions or recurring expenses of mine that I, I didn't even know I had and, and helped me get rid of them, which was great. But yeah, it, the idea was really, what's a problem, right? So we talked about part of a durable strategy and durable value is like, focus on a problem that's like an evergreen problem, having visibility about your finances and then having the ability to eliminate waste in your budget is something that people have needed for years and will need for years. That's not going away. No amount of tech is just going to make that problem disappear, but it is a problem that we can help solve and we can bring simplicity to something. I remember when I used to dump spreadsheets out of all my bank statements and all my credit card statements and try to figure it out myself years ago. And I did this and I connected a few accounts and it was done and it was simple. And we so we took something difficult and unpleasant. We made it simple. And I think that is just that is the thing that we do. We try to take things that are necessary and hard and try to make them easy for people. 
And when we do it, it's like magic. And I think all great companies have that aspect of magic to them where they make something difficult really simple. Let's look at your journey, right? It's a multi-year journey, obviously. You know, you start a long time ago. When uh, companies start a journey like that, you know, we talked about measures and improving them and so on. But, you know, from the word go, how long did it take you for those measures to start improving? Because um, companies today have very little patience for that. Was it long? Was it short? Was it difficult? Would, you know, did you get any kind of scare halfway saying, oh, my God, you know, if this is what we need to do. You know, I'm not going to get there in time. You know, uh, so was there any in that long journey? I'm, I'm sure there were a few uncomfortable moments. Oh, many. Yeah. Part of it is understanding that there's not an end. Right. So the answer is it's endless. You start when you realize the problem and then you never really end. You just continue to refine and continue to solve and address that problem. Uh, to your point, though, you can't wait forever to start seeing value, either for you or your client. And so the, the key is knowing that you're going to have to take this journey of a thousand different steps. Right? If we want to fully digitize a mortgage or help people solve their personal finances and really get a handle on those, those are things we will work on for literal decades. But along the way, you have to solve problems incrementally. What doesn't work, and I think the way technology worked, maybe when, when we were first starting out, was like, we're going to go in a lab and we're going to go for four years and just build. And then one day we're going to ship something enormous and just pray that it works. Uh, and that doesn't really work. So what works today is taking that sort of endless journey, realizing that you're never going to be done anyway, and breaking it up into discrete pieces where you can ship something of value. The hard part about that, of course, is then you have to stay on the path. It's very easy that the trade-off now is that by breaking things up and using a more agile methodology, the, the advantage is you ship much more frequently and deliver value more frequently. The, the, the trick to it, of course, is that you've got to stay on the path. And sometimes it can get hard to remember what the path is, especially in a turbulent environment. It's very easy. And I think we go back to the best companies and the worst companies. The best companies will stay on that path. They, will, they know who they are. They know what value they provide. And they will stay on the path and continue to deliver that value. And the worst companies will get distracted. They will chase things. They will be afraid or they'll be opportunistic and they'll chase things that really aren't who they are and aren't integral to their value proposition. So the answer is it's endless, but along the way, we're, we're trying to change something like every month. We're constantly rolling some new feature or product or service out that takes one small piece of the equation and delivers that value along the way. And that that's how you avoid the, hey, it's been three years of building and we come back and it turns out we solved the wrong problem, right? That's that's the disaster that no company wants to face. You got to learn that because you're many of your ideas are wrong. Most ideas are wrong and you need to find that out quickly. Well, actually, it's the importance of failing fast, uh, if, if, if you know what I mean. I mean, Amazon just found that like they forced, they tried to force Alexa. They didn't, they didn't. really look at the sales data as like, Hey, when are we going to get to profitability? Like we, they just tried to force Alexa down everyone's uh, homes, and now, like 
it's been revealed they've lost billions and billions of dollars on it. Yeah, Uber and Lyft, like great service, no viable business model seemingly. Yeah. To the point, it's great you can do it and provide an awesome service, but you do have to be able to do it profitably. There is yeah. a very long list of things like that, like you know, Google Glasses, <laughs> or, you know, there's, there's, there's so many of them. Yeah, but I feel like they get killed sooner. Those things get killed sooner. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Brian, I'm almost at the bottom of, of, my, um, of my kind of list of questions here. One question really uh, comes up to me, and uh, you know, I mean, seeing the journey you went through, you know, with all the things that went well and things that went possibly less well, what do you think is, you know, for a kind of an average listener of this podcast, what is the single thing that when people, you know, people might be driving listening to this, you know, what is the single thing they have to remember? tomorrow when they wake up? I would say this, uh, never miss an opportunity to learn something. The, there is value in your successes. There's value in your failures. Uh, the best people and the best organizations I've ever worked with extract every ounce of learning and knowledge they can from every experience that they have, including the failures. And I bet you'll find if you think about the organizations that you admire most, that they have gone down a lot of blind alleys, that they have had a lot of struggles, and that the difference between them and the companies that didn't succeed is that they learned and adapted from those failures. Uh, and I think there is no more valuable attribute that a person or an organization can have for long-term success than that. That's, that's, that's a very uh, wise you know, uh, set of words from your brand. Thank you very much. So Brian, Paolo, I want to say thank you for joining us so far and talking so much about transformation, how to make these investments and bets in a tough economic climate. But one of the things the both of your companies has done recently is unified a partnership, which is, I think, different for Salesforce. Maybe I, I don't quite know. But I want to talk about is this concept of mortgage as a service or mass for short. About a year ago, it sounds like Rocket partnered with Salesforce to optimize the process of originating and processing mortgages. I didn't realize that was happening. Give us an idea. What was that project about? And give us an idea of how it's going and what are some results from it so far? Yeah, look, we're still early. This is a, a big long-term transformation. We talked about blind alleys. We're, we're going to be working on this together as partners for years. But the idea, I think, is really exciting. Uh, you know, you mentioned, Albert, earlier, it's, uh, mortgage is an incredibly regulated environment. It's yep. really complicated and really difficult. Um, and what that really means practically is that not a lot of companies really actually want to do it, uh, but a lot of companies, a lot of banks, especially banks, really want to offer it. And so the hypothesis there is we think and we have a very good reason to think that a lot more companies and banks want to offer mortgage to their clients than actually want to do mortgages, which is hard and risky and complicated and requires a ton of investment in infrastructure and people and other things. And so what we've come to the conclusion is, well, we're very good at it. We put in that sweat equity and money and time and passion to master this difficult problem. Uh, what we think is that there are a lot of other banks who are going to be really excited and interested to offer mortgage, but really have us do all the heavy lifting to fulfill it. And we partnered with Salesforce because we knew that was the technology platform, A, that we're also building a lot of our internal technology around, but we know in the financial services industry, it's the platform. Uh, and we wanted this technology to be 
consumer focused and client centric, which is really the nature of Salesforce. So I'm very excited about the partnership. I, I think it's going to ultimately be transformative as it allows some real consolidation to happen in the industry around a platform, which most industries have. Not everyone's out there in most industries home growing all of their own infrastructure, but we do. Uh, and we think we can actually solve that. So, Brian, I want to ask a couple of clarification questions because it's it, your answer is leads me down this path of sometimes what I always talk about is like the, uh, the problem is so clearly obvious. But like you said, the problems are obvious. The solutions are not as clear. But this feels like the solution should have been in front of our faces, too. But is this the reason why so many banks, like you said, they don't have mortgage origination teams. They rely on brokers to get it done. And then they buy those because they want to service them because it's a good it's a good piece of business because it's been de-risked. It's collateralized. It's most for the most part, people pay, make their payments on time. But the actual process of getting somebody to do all that work is is where all the challenge lies. And they're like, that's a manual process. I mean, for anyone who's ever gone through mortgage, it's a bit of phone chasing. Like you're constantly going to get called hey, Brian, upload your W-2, upload your, <laughs> it's like, it's a lot of yep. phone chasing because people just don't yep. behave the way you think they would. And there's a lot of work behind the scenes that you don't even necessarily see as a client. That, that's exactly right. It's it's a deeply complex, uh, scale resistant business to be in that we happen to have put a lot of work into figuring out how to simplify and scale. Uh, and so rather than, you know, I, I think in your case, you observe like a lot of banks have announced that they're backing away from mortgage or reducing their footprint in that space. And we want to be bold where others are timid. We are going to lean into this and actually provide it as a service. And Salesforce is sort of the perfect platform to unlock that and actually enable it and extend it out to all of these partners. Oh, that's cool. As uh, Now I'm, I'm thinking about all the people that probably just missed that opportunity in front of their eyes like this. <laughs> If there's if there's paper for anyone that's listening to IT visionaries, if the paper's involved, technology should follow. Ask yourself why is there no technology for that paper? Because like the mortgage pro application process is just so painful. Absolutely. Well, gentlemen, I want to say thank you both for joining us today on IT Visionaries. It was a lot of fun hearing about some of your philosophies, Brian, how you implement them at Rocket. Paolo, it's awesome having you guide these questions because you have such a unique perspective of what companies are, how they're just making investments right now in this in this time where, uh, let's like you said, resources are going to get a little bit, you know, they're going to get tighter. That's just a fact of the, what's happening out there. It was great having you both on the show, but before you go, it is time for the lightning round. The lightning round is brought to us by Salesforce platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Brian, we're super happy that you're building mass with Salesforce. But these set of questions are not about work. We want to get to know you both a little bit better away from work. So we're going to start with this. Brian, when you're not building mortgage products and mortgage technology, what do you like to do for fun? Oh, you know, it changes over time. I, I've always been a tech guy. I've always been more of an indoor kind of guy. But in the last couple of years, moving up here to Michigan, I've become an outdoors person. I started hiking uh, taking my kids out. I have four kids. Uh, we go outside a lot, sports. Uh, and then just the last couple of weeks over the holidays, I started playing chess with both my sons. And uh, I've been having a lot of fun doing that too. All right. Can any of them beat you yet? Oh, regularly. <laughs> yeah, keep it humble. Paulo, how about for yourself? I believe you're over in Europe. What do you like to do when you're not doing all this research on all these companies? What do you do for fun? Well, I mean, having over 62 years of age, I just want to make sure that my body keeps functioning in an acceptable way. So I do a lot of exercise as well. 
Um, and I try to eat good food, uh, which I cook myself being Italian. And that's another big passion. I, I, I do cook a lot and drink well. And obviously wine is part of it in moderation. I am a terrible cook, but I just get enough done. Paolo, what is your like flagship dish? If you were trying to impress somebody, you would make what for them? Well, you see, Italian cooking is very simple. Um, you know, you, you will never see me cooking for three hours in a row. So, you know, there are things that are very, very simple, but excellent. And it could be like a, a bolognese sauce, you know, or even a tomato sauce, you know. Um, uh, and actually, this goes very personal as, as, as actually uh, my wife used to cook. My wife was Irish in our, one of our first uh, dates. She cooked lasagna for me, and she knew that the way to my heart would go through my mouth. <laughs> when you said bolognese sauce, I was like, I don't even know what's in it. Uh, so, so to me, <laughs> you're doing some advanced stuff. It's not that simple. Brian, you mentioned when you, you, know, you spend a lot more time outdoors. Where did you move from? Uh, we actually moved up. I moved for this job with Rocket. I moved up from Florida which uh, this time of year, it feels like a difficult choice. The summers and spring and fall here up in Michigan are gorgeous though. And they're a great time to get outside. We have an awesome park system. So we spend a lot of time doing that. Well, that's surprising to hear that. I would assume living in Florida, you would be outside more down there. But you said, because you mentioned you moved outside more now that you're in Michigan. No, it's way too hot in Florida to be outside. In Florida, (laughs) you need to be in the air conditioning. Up here, this is where you can really get outdoors. That is awesome. Well, to both of you, I want to say thanks again for joining us on IT Visionaries. Thanks for sharing a little bit about your personal lives. If anyone wants to eat a, you know, it sounds like a mean bolognese sauce, go hit up Paolo. If anyone wants to learn how to play some chess, talk to Brian's sons. Uh, don't. don't <laughs> <laughs> it was fun having you both on the show. Uh, thank you again for joining us today on IT Visionaries. Thank you. Well, thanks. Thanks, Albert. Pleasure to meet you both.